There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Welcome, friends, to WCN-TV for today. This is Tuesday, September 26, 2023. And uh, welcome to everybody in the studio audience. We have some new folks in here today. And I uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, this is a program that I hope you will share um, on all of your platforms. We're, as I've said before, we are not on Facebook. But um, if you if you still are using that platform, share this like crazy because we need to get this information out. So it's becoming more and more obvious every day that Christians are now targets of the regime and the cabal in power here in the U.S. In fact, Christians were specifically singled out earlier this year by the Biden DOJ and specifically white Christians as being, quote, the most serious terrorist threat to the nation. It's no secret that Christians are actively being sought out for persecution by all the various three-letter agencies. In the current edition of Wisconsin Christian News, Pastor Matt Truella wrote an article about 23 Christians who are now facing up to 32 years in federal prison. Their crime? Praying outside of an abortion clinic. On August 29th, five were found guilty of violating the FACE Act, which is the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which makes it a crime to block the entrance to abortion clinics where preborn babies are being murdered. In the case of these five, a conspiracy enhancer was added to the charges. All five of these Christians were found guilty by an obviously biased judge and were immediately taken into custody by U.S. Marshals because they were said to be violent. In all, there are 23 peaceful, nonviolent Christians who've been indicted by the DOJ and all arrested by the FBI, including Eva Edel, who is an elderly Holocaust survivor. Now, I know many of these Christians personally and have ministered with several of them on the streets, and I can tell you that they are anything but violent. But they're all now looking at between 2 and 32 years in federal prison for the crime of trying to save babies' lives and for praying in public. Our guest today is also under serious unrighteous persecution from a corrupt justice system. Jesse Boyd is with us from Foolproof Gospel Ministries based in Western North Carolina. On March 1st of 2021, 
Jesse, his family, and others in their ministry put their feet in the Atlantic Ocean off Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and began walking across the United States to proclaim the gospel, bring revival to America's churches, and spiritual awakening to the streets of our nation. So far, they've walked over 6,000 miles through 17 states and 219 counties. They've had 3,000 encounters and opportunities to share God's word without a single negative incident. But then last November, on the side of a remote highway in Madison County, Montana, they suddenly became victims of a violent assault which was unprovoked, but carried out by a man with a reputation for violence and a personal friendship with the county sheriff there. They immediately were arrested and are now facing criminal charges in prison time simply for defending themselves and their children from a violent attacker. Time is of the essence because they go to trial in November and these Christ followers need our help. So, like I said, I hope you will all share this program with as many people as possible as Jesse will be telling his story and explain what happened. Jesse, welcome to WCN-TV and thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Rob. I'm just so honored and blessed that uh, some Christian folks from Wisconsin would care about uh, the trials of some relatively unknown believers down here in North Carolina. That's just an honor and a blessing, and I thank you for it. Well, we're based in Wisconsin, but, you know, we've got people watching from all over the world. So hopefully this this message is going to get out far and wide today. Hallelujah. Um. So we'll get to the story of your ambush here shortly, but first, if you would, if you'd just kind of give us an overview of your ministry and tell us what led to your decision to start walking across the United States. Well, Rob, we're just simple folks. We don't exist to make a name for ourselves. We just want to be faithful and serve Christ and carry out his great commission. Our ministry uh, labors, uh, we have two priorities. One of those is the free and mass distribution of God's word into the hands of both Jew and Gentile. And then we also uh, believe strongly in the New Testament model of the public proclamation of the gospel, not uh, not, uh, making evangelism our lifestyle, but living a lifestyle that is evangelism and involves the actual preaching of the word. And so we've been blessed over the years to, to carry out Uh, these foundational uh, aspects of the Great Commission in more than 40 countries, particularly in some more closed areas of the world. So we normally run under the radar and have interaction with persecuted Christians in different nations around the world. So we've been blessed to do that going back to 2003. We've been laboring in this ministry and um, We have a great heart for getting the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You know, I believe the um, the Gentile churches owe the Jewish people a debt of gratitude because God used them to give the scriptures to mankind. And of course, we know that Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, came through the seed of David and the very first Christians, the first pastors, the first churches, the first missionaries were Jewish. And it's sad in this day and time that that group of people has been neglected when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. And so, you know, we are always about speaking Christ to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So we've had a lot of interaction with Israeli backpackers that graduate from their conscripted service in the IDF. And they typically like to go and travel 
the world after finishing their army service. And South Asia and South America are popular, what they call hummus trails. And so over the last uh, decade or so, we've been focused on crossing paths with Israeli backpackers and trying to get the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures into their hands, opening up our home to these travelers and trying to show them that what a Gentile follower of the Jewish Messiah looks like and what we believe. A lot of Israelis believe that all Christians are Catholics and that the New Testament is full of rosaries and Hail Marys and all this kind of stuff and have no idea that the New Testament was actually written down by Jewish people and that Christians, evangelical Christians, believe upon the Jewish Messiah and believe the Old Testament scriptures. And so that's our focus. One of the greatest ways to go about Jewish outreach, per se, is to preach the gospel to a whole lot of Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. that's the uh, uh, the, the um, that was the modus operandi of Paul, the apostle. And so one of the things we love the most is that our travels and our stationing in places where we cross paths with Israeli backpackers puts us also in the path of a whole lot of Gentiles. Of course, when COVID came on the scene, some of the overseas open doors where we were accustomed to labor um, were closed. And so I've just always considered myself a simple missionary who labors without benefit of furlough. And I wasn't content to be still here in America uh, when things were shut down overseas. And as of course, as we've watched the deterioration of our country uh, and the ship that is sinking, then you, you realize that really one of the greatest mission fields in the world today is right here. And so instead of waiting around for some of these doors to open, the Lord just pressed it upon my heart to do something simple, nothing fancy, not something that other people haven't done because others have, but just to pick up a cross and to start walking. And uh, I told the Lord I'd go for a walk and try to be a witness and encourage my fellow countrymen, particularly on rural routes and in backwoods areas, small towns where you can engage people where they live. And I would encourage folks to humble themselves and repent and turn back to God. Um, Our nation is in peril. Our liberty is in danger. And there's a one word solution. And it's not Republican and it's not Democrat. It's not certainly not Biden. And it's not even Trump. I mean, the one word solution is a name that's above every name. It's a name before whom every knee will one day bow. And it's Jesus. Amen. um, You know, uh, in order to to get back to Jesus or back to God as a nation, there's a there's a pretty important verb that will get you in trouble. You get more in trouble saying this word in the churches today than you would say in the N word or that word. It's the R word. It's repent. Yep. This nation yep. needs to repent. We need to repent and humble ourselves and turn back to God. It says in the Psalms that the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So we've forgotten God in this nation. And uh, my desire was simply while I waited for our overseas doors to open was to just go out and encourage my fellow countrymen to humble themselves. I was very careful as we walked and spoke with a whole slew of different people from different backgrounds to always speak about America's problems in the first person, you know, just like Daniel did in the book of Daniel. The problem isn't you need to repent or you need to get right with God. The problem is we need to repent as a nation. We as a church need to repent for being lukewarm. We need to humble ourselves and turn back to God 
before we lose everything that our ancestors bled and died for. And so that was our message. It was just a simple changing of of uh, method for a bit until overseas doors opened back up and I made a commitment. And so the commitment was to walk from the Atlantic to the Pacific and I haven't reached the Pacific yet. So I don't take it lightly to tell God you're going to do something and not finish it. So obviously um, we intend to finish. Uh, It was a burden the Lord laid upon me very early on. My teenage daughter was adamant that she wanted to join me and uh, my partner in ministry, Eric Trent, him and his wife serve as missionaries full time with our small ministry. And they had been laboring in Colombia, South America. And of course that door closed and we were waiting to get them back down there. And he also came alongside and just said, look, brother, I don't want you to carry this burden along. Let me help and we'll do it together. So we were a team of three. Uh, Occasionally my daughter, fiance at the time she's married now she got married back on august the 5th he would come out and walk with us but we were a team of three and uh we would alternate legs my daughter would either walk with me or or my ministry partner and we just follow a route never skipping something if we walked all day and stopped and went and stayed with someone or stayed in a church or camped out we would always come back to the exact spot where we had stopped the day before and By God's grace, we've made it all the way to uh, just north of Kalispell, Montana. We're within 30 miles of the Canadian border. And uh, when we head back out, uh, um, we're thinking about going back out in the next week or so to utilize these great weeks in October to put some more miles behind us. We'll continue. And so uh, until this is done, we're going to pursue and, and and be about the work of getting the Bible in people's hands and speaking frankly about the gospel and the problems of this nation. It's actually quite simple, not a not an in-depth or a complex or a complicated strategy. I kind of go back to the psalmist. The psalmist said, I believe, therefore I speak. Paul quoted that verse in the New Testament. We believe, therefore we speak. And so that's what uh, that's what we're about. We speak what we believe. Well, uh, tell us about some of the, um, I mentioned earlier that you've had over 3,000 encounters. Tell us about some of those um, where God's opened doors and as you've been walking across the country. Well, we start out each morning. We'll, we'll gather in prayer and we'll ask God for two things. We'll ask the Lord to obviously put people in our path. And we ask God every day to allow us to cross paths with a lost sheep from the house of Israel. That is rare and it doesn't happen all the time. But I just recall instances where that happened. Uh, There was one particular day in Kansas where I was walking a dirt road, pretty remote, and I was trying to, to, to connect with my support vehicle up where the dirt crossed the pavement. And it was very hot that day in the 90s, and I hadn't really seen anybody. And uh, I heard a vehicle pull up and stop and I turned to the side and it just looked like a a normal unmarked uh, pickup truck. But it turned out to be uh, one of the deputies in the in in the with the sheriff's department in that county. And he just asked me if I was all right and what I was doing. And I shared with him and um, we got to talking and I had Hebrew, a Hebrew message across my shirt. 
and he recognized it and asked me what that was all about. And I explained to him that um, the Jesus Christ of the Bible is the Messiah of Israel and that uh, I like to tell the people of Israel about their Messiah because many don't believe upon him. And I just assumed this guy was just a local man, a Gentile. And uh, he proceeded to tell me that his grandfather, when he grew up, had a, had a series of numbers tattooed on his arm. And he never really understood it till later. Long story short, this was the grandson of, of a uh, Holocaust survivor. Mm. And so right out there in the middle of Kansas, and I was able to give him a New Testament. And uh, he was very grateful for that. And so I had an encounter uh, with the with the descendant of a Holocaust survivor out there in the middle of nowhere. That was a pretty incredible thing. I, I will say that not a single day on this walk has ever gone by without us without at least one gospel encounter. And keep in mind, I mean, we walk roads. Sometimes we take trails. And there's times when there's just nobody around, but without fail, every single day, there's been at least one encounter. I remember uh, Western North Carolina, we were in a very remote area, uh, trying to get over and cross interstate. Uh, it was south of the Great Smoky Mountains. We followed the Tennessee-North Carolina border all the way up to Virginia. And we hadn't seen anyone that day. And I'd kind of just come to accept that this was going to be the day without any encounters. And so the last leg I traded off with my, my partner and my, my daughter, and they were walking through a rainstorm along the river and the, the, uh, the rain eventually abated and a vehicle pulled in there and these two men came down there to swim. And so right there at the end of the day, within a half a mile of where we were going to stop for the day, they were able to speak the gospel to two men there mm -hmm. who had, come down to the river to swim. And so, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, it's so many encounters. Uh, you know, um, I try to record all that stuff so we can pray for people and remember them by name. I think we've given out over 150 Bibles. We've been able to share the gospel with both Jew and Gentile, people from different countries, people from different backgrounds. We've walked through rural uh, Native American areas, rural black communities, and we were always received pretty well. Uh, there are people along the way who mean well, and they warn us about areas we shouldn't walk. And usually when someone tells me not to walk through an area, then I take that as direction from the Lord to walk through an area. And mm -hmm. I remember hearing that in Eastern North Carolina concerning a, a rural black community, you probably shouldn't walk through there. Well, I'm like, oh, we're going to walk through there. And we walked through the little community of Green Evers, and it was just an incredible time with a lot of, lot of opportunities to speak Christ. People treated us with respect, and I was allowed to speak frankly to folks. And so that had been our experience all along the way. Uh, prior to this incident in Montana, we had walked in a giant loop through Yellowstone National Park, got to speak with a lot of tourists, some foreigners. I was able to give a Bible to a man from France um, and uh, even witness to some of the park rangers who kept a, a watchful eye on us just to make sure we didn't have any trouble. I mean, even there in Yellowstone, 
when they learned what we were doing and that it would take several days to get across the park, uh, we were told, you know, please let us know if you have any trouble and we'll let people know you're out here. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that I was surprised, Rob, in the, in the day and time we live in with all the chaos and division in this country and people's emotions and anger and hatred being stirred up by the media and by the politics of the hour, you kind of expected to have trouble. Uh, you know, Christian persecution is definitely on the rise in this country. Historically, when Christians are persecuted, there also tends to be a rise in anti-Semitism and vice versa. These things, no doubt, are starting to increase. And so I expected to have trouble. I expected to have people threaten us just for walking with the cross. And from North Carolina to Montana, we had nothing but positive encounters. I could probably count on one hand the number of encounters that were I guess you would consider it hostile. We carried a cross. We also carried an American flag in distress. You know, you're probably familiar with the flag code. There's an appropriate time to fly an American flag upside down. It's not a sign. Um, can I just uh, interrupt, uh, Jonathan, uh, if you could just put up um, uh, Jesse's website, we can we can just kind of scroll through that as, as he st continues uh, explaining things to us because there are some great uh, photos on there yeah as, well, as i was saying rob you know uh, an american flag upside down is a sign of distress it's in the flag code and i can't think of a greater distress for a nation than when a nation that once knew god now turns its back upon him that's the worst type of distress there is and so we found that that flag turned upside down would generate questions and it would give us an opportunity to explain one of my favorite quotes by an American president uh, was Teddy Roosevelt in 1901. He was a vice president. And he was speaking at the Minnesota State Fair. I believe four or five days later, President McKinley was assassinated. But he said these words, he said, no glory and no prosperity can save a nation that's rotten at heart. And that is where we are today. And so we've we've used the American flag in distress as uh, a means to generate conversations. And occasionally people misunderstand that and, you know, have had an issue with it. But it was never really encounters that didn't give us an opportunity to explain. And anytime you go out with the gospel, you're going to have people that make trouble and we didn't really have that in Montana and it had almost caused our team to start thinking, Lord, what are we doing wrong? I mean, this <laughs> right. has been great. Yeah. And you know, there's been a mm -hmm. lot of doors opened for us, yeah. not a single incident. I mean, and we're not talking Rob about driving across America or even bicycling. I'm talking about walking from Cape Hatteras, to Montana and lots of people seeing you on the highway. I remember in central North Carolina, I was walking down a somewhat busy highway and a truck pulled by and slammed on the brakes and pulled off to the side of the road. And it looked like it might be a hostile encounter. The guy backed up and I haven't understood to this day. It was a it was a it was a man I went to college with, and I hadn't seen him in 26 years. Wow. 
And he said that when he saw me walking on the side of the road, he said, I knew that walk. I knew it was you, Jesse Boyd. It's great to see you. So I don't know how you know who somebody is 26 years later based on how they walk. <laughs> I don't have a limp or anything, but, you know, it was just just stuff like that. And uh, we weren't trying to make a name for ourselves uh, or announce things. We just went walking and we pick up where we left off and we trust the Lord to put people into our path. And that's what he did all along the way. Well, I, I should let you know that we have a couple uh, that are in our studio audience here today that also did a, a long walk across the country. And uh, um, do you want to say hi now, Harry, or do you want to say hi later? Say hi later. Oh, I can say hi now, but I feel rather embarrassed. This guy puts me to shame. I don't know about that. I'm I'm nobody's nobody's blessing. Harry has been Harry has been telling their story, telling their story in the newspaper, in the newspaper um, um, for the last uh, little while. I think uh, this issue is part nineteen in the series. So, but uh, yeah, it's uh, there. There, I can see the similarities. Well, praise the Lord! I've heard kind of along the way that others had been seen doing similar things and people thought it was me. And then as we, they described their encounter, it, it's like, no, that's not me, but praise the, praise God. There's other preachers walking across America, raising mm-hmm. an alarm, talking to folks about the gospel. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so many churchgoers are so afraid to, you know, preach the gospel or even, even share their own testimony. But, I think most find out when they get the courage to do that, that people are really not hostile to it. They're open to it. And, um, and the, minute well, you, the, days, the minute you open your mouth, any fear goes away. So, Well, you're right. And I think one of the advantages, I'll tell you that what I've learned along this journey, and I've talked to lots of different people, but I could count on one hand the number of conversations I've had from North Carolina to Montana involving people that did not believe that America was in trouble. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody, and I'm talking white, black, Native American, Hispanic, uh, various uh, socioeconomic levels, Republicans, Democrats, um, rich, poor, almost everybody I spoke to agreed that America was in trouble. And that's a good thing. When people recognize there's a problem, they're more open to hearing about spiritual solutions. And I would argue that America doesn't have a political problem. She has a spiritual problem. And you can't fix spiritual problems with political solutions. And so, you know, I have political convictions. Um, I've got... uh, You know, uh, I've exercised my right to vote throughout my life. Uh, I don't necessarily say what I'm going to do or not going to do, but I try to judge every decision I make in the realm of civics and politics by the spiritual truth of God's word. And you cannot ignore the spiritual. And uh, that's America's problem is we uh, have turned away from the spiritual and we consider all our problems to be fixable with man-made solutions. And we ignore the warnings of our founding fathers. We ignore them. 
were not interested in what they had to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, I love this guy. <laughs> we're gonna hear we're gonna hear what happened in Montana, um, but let's take that break, uh, Jonathan. And uh, we have a, a just a short message from our friend Leighton Howerton, who is in Montana, actually. Oh. And you you probably walked pretty close right past his cabin. <laughs> Maybe I did. You probably did, but we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get into uh, the the heart of the story here. Well, I'm out at the old barn, the stables, a very fitting place for an old mule like me at the Angel Theater Ranch here in Montana. And I'm grateful to the Stevens for allowing me to be here and at their theater to work, record out of, and take a respite from, to really focus in on what God's doing in the ministry. One of the things that God's been up to in the ministry is that over the years, I've had the privilege of writing stories and articles for different publications throughout the country. And presently, I'm writing as a monthly contributor for the Wisconsin Christian News. It's an incredible newspaper with a very gifted and loving and kind editor and publisher by the name of Rob Pugh. I love Rob. He's given me this great honor by sharing some of my insights from the road as I travel in ministry around the country each month. I finished one yesterday for him. I want you to know something. If you will go check out wisconsinchristiannews.com, you'll be able to read some of the finest material you've ever laid your eyes on, and I hope that your mind and your heart will receive all the fine, fine words that the writers, the contributing writers there, are in every month to help you in your walk. It is a definite plus to your life. It's a newspaper that talks about real issues, things that we need to not only deal with, but be actively involved with that are going on in our society today. So I would encourage you to check it out. Once again, that's the wisconsinchristiannews.com. That's their site, and you can find out all the information about their ministry there. You know, as a storyteller, I realize every one of us has a story, but it's not just our story. It's God's story. So let me encourage you today to share your story because of that reason. God wants your story to come to life because it's part of his grand story. And all the things that go on in this world, there are folks that need to know and need to experience the life story that you have. Because let me tell you something. It's God's great love story, not just for us, but for everyone. For he wants and desires everyone to come to know real life, true life, eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Guys, I'm going to mule up here in a minute and get on with my day. I encourage you to do so too. Check it out, wisconsinchristiannews.com. So that was uh, Leighton. Leighton Howerton, and uh, that was recorded in Kalispell, but he's now in Red Lodge, Montana. So um, let's uh, let's get into it, um, Jesse. Tell us what happened November 12th in Montana. Well, I want to start out by saying, Rob, I, 
I appreciate you guys sending me this. I'm honored that there's a story in here about us. And this is a great publication. It's the first time I've seen it. I've thoroughly enjoyed looking at the articles in here. And I'm just going to have to agree with what I just heard. And I just want to say again how much we appreciate you all caring about our situation. And uh, Well, and your story uh, written by Deanne Winter is on also, if, if you don't have a hard copy, it's on our website. Um, yes, it is. And Deanne did a great job. Uh, I was honored to, to speak with her. And um, there's been a few articles here and there done on this story. And this, I would say, is one of the best. And so I was just honored. I know um, there's a couple of folks out there in Montana. Uh, she was on here earlier, Dennis and Connie Gomez. They were strangers to us before any of this happened, but they have come alongside and have just been very adamant about getting the word out, praying for us, supporting us in this matter. And I'm just humbled and honored by the friendships that we've made as a result of this unfortunate incident. And that is the way the sovereign divine hand of providence works. Often. Mm -hmm. So I'll preface it by saying, uh, praise the Lord for the good fruit that has come out of this uh, incident of persecution. Well, he does work all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Right? Amen. Amen. Well, Rob, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, we were trying to walk. It had gotten cold pretty quick when November hit last year. We had a great, October coming through Yellowstone and Grand Teton Park. And then we turned north at a fork in the road. We could either choose to walk north into Montana or south across the Snake River Basin in Idaho. And frankly, we were just tired of the prairie. And north into Montana at the end of the day involved more trees and uh, uh, a little more windbreak. And so we were trying to make it uh, just another week. I had a back injury. I'd slipped and fallen on the ice in Yellowstone and was nursing a very tender lower back injury that had had me in the bed for a few days. And uh, we had a week to go. And we were going to pack up and go home for Thanksgiving. And uh, my daughter's husband, at the time, her fiance, uh, wanted to come out and propose to her on the side of the highway somewhere because he had walked different legs with us throughout the journey. And uh, he was going to bring my 12-year-old son with him. Uh, my son, Josiah, was, wanted to take a cross-country road trip with Uncle Carter. And they were going to come out and do that last leg, that last week with us. And then we were going to pack up and come home for the holidays. They joined us. And at that time, we had begun, we, had, we were traveling up highway, uh, U.S. Highway 287 uh, toward Ennis, Montana. And then we were going to continue on and try to make it to Interstate 90 were the, the, at the headwaters of the Missouri River there. And uh, we felt like that'd be a great place to end the leg. And uh, so on November 12th, it was like, it started out like any other day. It was very cold, but the sun was out. And we had walked into the evening the day before. It was very cold. And we had made it to a pull-off. And we just resumed there. And we had a few encounters with elk hunters that day. They were out spotting elk there in the Madison River Valley. And it had been positive, just like any other day. A couple of conversations, gave out a few tracks. And as the day, uh, as the afternoon proceeded on, we decided we'd try to make it to a little 
community called Cameron. It looked like there was a store there and we were hoping we could find a cup of coffee. And so there were six miles and we decided to split that. My ministry partner, Eric and I, my son, Josiah would walk the first three miles and then we would trade off and Bethany and Carter would walk the last three and we'd call it a day there at the general store in Cameron. And I'd hopefully have a cup of coffee waiting on them. And Carter wanted to propose to my daughter. So he, I, we were thinking he was going to do that there on that last leg. So I sent them up ahead. Uh, we always try to be very careful where we park. Uh, we don't like to park on, we definitely don't park on private property. And we try to make sure the support vehicle is out of the way. And occasionally, People would want to know what you're doing, and that's reasonable in remote areas, and it would always give us opportunities to explain what we were doing and share the gospel. So we never minded people asking us, and most of the time, people just wanted to make sure we didn't have any car trouble. And so they moved up the road and found a spot at the junction of US 287 and Cameron Road, a, a pretty wide gravel road that goes back into s- some uh Riverside area where there's homes and there was a little bait shop slash motel back in there. But they sat at that spot for about 40 to 45 minutes waiting for us to walk up. In fact, the picture there on that article uh, that shows me holding the cross and Carter and Eric walking, that was just just before this happened. And Mm. so we walked up and they were parked there as usual. They got out of the vehicle. I handed the cross to Carter. Eric handed the flag to Bethany. I went around the back. We had a gearbox on the back that I had to unscrew and swing out so I could get into the truck. And I was putting my son's backpack back there, putting his flag up, and we were going to move down the road. And as I was engaging in this process that takes three to four minutes, a vehicle pulled up from the north, the opposite direction we had been walking. So it wasn't somebody that had passed us. And I heard everybody go quiet. I was behind the vehicle. He wouldn't have been able to see me. But the other four were standing there by the front of the vehicle. And then I heard the vehicle turn in to Cameron Road. And it pulled up and just a little past us. And I looked up and I saw this man just going absolutely berserk inside his pickup truck. I'd never seen him before. I had no idea who he was. And he was screaming and throwing his hands around. I I mean, I was kind of shocked. And so I just stood up and kind of put my hands out like, what's going on? And at that point, he proceeded to roll down the window and just went to screaming. I mean, I've seen road rage in my life. And I've been attacked by a mob overseas while preaching the gospel. I've never seen anger, demonic anger, like I saw in those first moments. And this man was just screaming about you people, your kind. Think you can just park wherever you want to, walk wherever you want to. Your kind ain't welcome in Montana. Hmm. And at that point, I'm thinking, well, my skin color and his skin color is the same. So he, he can't be talking about my race. He's obviously talking about the cross. And so I just said, look, sir, uh, we're just some people walking across America. We don't want any trouble. We're packing up and we're leaving right now. 
I'm sorry. Well, that wasn't good enough. He began to curse further. I will not repeat what I heard that day. It was blasphemous. It was foul. And it was threatening. And um, I just said to him what I've said to many people along the way. I'm old fashioned. I don't believe that. Uh, I think it's wrong uh, to, to use language like that, particularly in front of women and children. I had two of my children out there. My daughter's a female. And I just said, look, sir, what you need to do is go on home and wash that filthy mouth out with soap because there's women and children out here. I told you we were leaving. Well, at that point, he got out of the vehicle and I had my 12 year old son standing right beside me there in the snow. This man reached across his seat. I couldn't see what he was reaching for. And he got out of his vehicle. The driver's side was opposite. I was talking to him through the passenger window, but I was probably 10, 12 feet away. I wasn't even, I was standing at the back of my vehicle. And this guy got out of his vehicle, Rob, and made a, he came around the front of that vehicle like he was a defensive tackle on a football field. And I was a white rod receiver getting ready to, to catch the, the ball. And I look up and this man that's about six foot two, probably 280, I'm guessing, outweighed me by 50, 60 pounds, is running at me. And I've got my, my 12-year-old son standing right beside me. So I did what anybody, any sane person would do in that moment. I drew my firearm on him. I was carrying a little two-shot Derringer uh, that I carried. Just we were in grizzly bear country. I'm not stupid enough to think that a daring girl will take out a grizzly, but it's loud and it could scare a grizzly off. And it's just uh, I wouldn't walk across America without some way to protect myself uh, and uh, didn't like to overdo it. But I just drew a little daringer on him and I stepped back and I had it angled at the ground. And I just said, sir, I told you we didn't want any trouble. I'm in fear for my life. I've got kids out here. You need to get back in your vehicle and get out of here. And uh, at that point, my ministry partner came around to try to engage him. And I mean, we're Christians. We love Jesus. We, 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 I'm never a guy that's unwilling to talk to an adversary and reason with him. And at that moment, the man seemed to calm down. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe uh, I can reason with him. That was a terrible mistake. And so as he calmed down and the initial danger was passed, I didn't see a gun or a knife in his hand. It didn't seem like a guy was going to be willing to listen to me talk about Jesus with a gun pointed at him. The danger was passed. So I put the gun away and I handed it to Eric and I said, Eric, we don't need this anymore. Just put it away. And I thought I could reason with this gentleman. But as soon as Eric took that gun away and walked around to put it back in the vehicle, the man went nuts. He just went berserk. Uh, not a very smart thing to do when you know somebody standing there is armed, but he did it anyway. He began to curse and scream. He got in my face, nose right up against me, screaming and shouting. I was up against my vehicle. I did everything in my power uh, to try to reason. My hands hung at my side for five to seven minutes while I'm being told that we're going to die that rifles are trained on us, that uh, we're not welcome in Montana, and that we've messed with the wrong people. You know, just very threatening language. We weren't, we had no cell phone signal. We couldn't call anybody. And uh, 
eventually, after putting up with this for about five to seven minutes, he shoved me into the back of my vehicle and pinned me up against my vehicle. At that point, I had to push him off to free myself. And then he punched me in the face and broke my glasses. And at that point, I decided I had to protect myself. And so Eric came around to try to come to my aid and he barreled over Eric and probably hit me two or three times before I even lifted a finger. And uh, in the melee, uh, he tackled me to the ground and suddenly this big guy's on top of me, just pummeling me over and over in the snow. Um, and at that time, that Eric and my daughter and her husband came to my aid. I was able to block at most of his blows and I was able to get in a good kick to his face, gave him a little bit of a bloody nose. I've seen worse bloody nose on playground. And by God's grace, uh, with their help, I was able to get out from under him. And uh, Eric had him restrained and told him we didn't want to hurt him, that uh, if he was finished, we were finished. And uh, the guy relaxed and indicated he was done. And so Eric mercifully let go of him. And the moment he did, he attacked Eric. And so I had to come to Eric's. I mean, it just kept going on and on. And finally, we were able to extricate ourselves from the situation. And at that point, two two trucks pulled up from that gravel road. And the man said that uh, the cowboys had arrived and that we were going to die. Um, and so I, I saw three other individuals. They got out of their trucks. The first thing one of them said was you better get your Jesus blankety blank out of here or we're going to kill you. And uh, I was also told they run over us with the truck. So, you know, I'm not stupid. We're in a very precarious position, Rob. There's no shelter. There's no trees. I mean, somebody could have shot me dead like a dog from 200 yards away with a scope and no one would know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't find the keys. I sent Carter and Bethany down the road. We couldn't get a cell phone signal. And I'm like, you guys get on down the road, get out of here. And while I'm looking for the keys, this guy gets on the phone. I know the sheriff in this county. You guys are going to pay. I'm buddies with the sheriff. And so this guy gets on the phone and calls 911 and just bald faced lies and told him that he was just attacked. And, uh, I'm just like, we got it. These guys said they're going to kill us. So we got down the road. I was trying repeatedly to call 911. We couldn't get a the uh, call to go through. And about a mile down the road, I, I can't remember how far, I finally was able to connect and I reported. I mean, the 911 call has been leaked out there by a whistleblower. And I said it very plainly. Hey, I'm a father uh, traveling with two of my children. We were attacked by some locals. Uh we were forced to defend ourselves. I had to draw a firearm and fear for my life. I didn't fire it. These people are gathering. Uh, I wanted to report this. I feel like we're in, in, in a little bit of danger here. I'm not sure what to expect. And, you know, we just told them we'd cooperate. I told them exactly where we were located and that we were happy to talk to them, what we were doing, that I could verify who we were. And, from that conversation, I just was expecting that an officer was going to show up and take a statement. And, uh, oh, they showed up all right. Uh, it was about, I guess it was probably four car, four cars. I can't remember. They showed up all right, and they swatted us. They swatted us, pulled us out of the vehicles under 
uh, with right with uh, firearms uh, uh, trained on us. They pulled my twelve. They had my twelve year old son get out of the vehicle with weapons pointed at him. He was forced to get down on his knees and put his hands on his head, and they handcuffed him. And just a ridiculous. I mean, you'd have thought that we had uh, uh, robbed a bank and had driven off in a getaway car. Hmm. I mean, the way they responded. And then, uh, you know, what proceeded was a situation where we were falsely accused of initiating a confrontation, of assaulting an old man. Um, I was, we were very clear what had happened. Um, we knew we were with in that we had obeyed Montana law by the letter. I'm not a fool. When I travel, I familiarize myself. I've got a concealed carry license from North Carolina. There are states that don't recognize it. And so when I go into those states, I follow the proper protocol. I'll unload it. I lock it up and I put it in my trunk. Um, in a state like Illinois, I'm allowed to keep it in my vehicle, but I'm not allowed to carry it. So I don't carry it. We're law abiding people in Montana. Montana's a constitutional carry state. It's a stand your ground state. And in Montana, you're actually allowed to draw a weapon in response to any threat, any type of bodily threat. I mean, the law couldn't be more clear. We had followed the law. And these officers that showed up on the scene spoke as if they lived in another country. This one individual told me that there's nowhere in America that you're ever allowed to draw a gun. Hmm. That's always a crime. And uh, he tried to argue with me. I explained that I was from North Carolina and that wasn't the case. And he said, well, I've lived in North Carolina. You've broken the law. You weren't in fear for your life. And they just mocked us. And then we learned later, much later, when some body cam footage had been released, that those officers literally stood and conspired to throw us in jail as they mocked us for being Christians, as they mocked us for being Christians. And so what unfolded, Rob, in my view and in the view of anybody that gives an honest look at some of those videos, is that we were the victims of a hate crime. We were targeted. We had been seen. There were things that some of those individuals who came on the scene communicated to law enforcement that made it clear we had been seen and we were targeted. Even one of the officers involved lied to dispatch and said that he had seen us walking for the past 10 days and that we were transients and crazy people. Now, we hadn't been walking for the last 10 days. We had only been walking for about two days. We had been over in Boise. We had gone there because of my back injury. I had a friend in Boise whose wife uh, owned a, a massage therapy clinic, and I had a pastor friend there in town, and we just went to wait out a snowstorm and to get some treatment from my back, we hadn't even been in the area. And so it just blew my mind to see all of this unfold and for us, the victims, to be accused of being the perpetrators. And this particular individual, I'd never seen him before. I didn't know who he was. Um, you know, we've discovered later, as you can see in the article that Deanne wrote, that this guy's got quite the reputation for violence. And uh, he's just a bad individual who hates a lot of people. And he obviously hates Christians. We weren't bothering him. We weren't on his property. 
we attempted to leave and he prevented us from doing it. And yet, as Christians, we responded to the threat with great restraint. None of us were injured. He was not injured. He got a bloody nose. And, uh, you know, we're not because I love Jesus. I'm willing to protect myself and my family, but I'm willing to do it with restraint and uh, only using necessary force. And, uh, you know, drawing a gun to fuse that threat. I shouldn't have put the gun away. That was foolish. But in good faith, I wanted to reason with this individual. And unlike any of the other encounters on this journey, it didn't work. I had a gun. A guy pulled a gun on me in Kentucky one evening along a rural road. I found out later I had sat down to take a break. And I found out later that the guy owned some land adjacent to the road and he had a shed and people had been stealing out of his shed. And so his neighbors had called about a suspicious character, which was me. Okay. I understand six o'clock in the evening guy with a <laughs> with fluorescent vest carrying across probably suspicious. Well, a guy walked up and before he even said anything, I had a Colt, a Colt uh, 45 right in my gut. And I mean, I dealt with that before. I was able to reason with the individual. I pulled out one of our gospel tracks that explains what we're doing. And the guy put the gun away and apologized to me. And I got to pray with him. Um, and it was a really good encounter. So these were not things I was unaccustomed to. And so I figure if I'm going to err, I would rather err on the side of good faith and caution. And that's what we did out there. And it got us into big trouble. But, uh, you know, Christians can be the victims of hate crimes in America. And we're, we've experienced that ourselves. So following that, your, you and your family were, were arrested, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, four of us, myself, my daughter, her husband, and um, uh, my ministry partner, we spent, I can't remember, four or five days in jail. Uh, my son was taken and put in CPS custody. Um, I know that uh, we were issued $50,000 bonds apiece. The individual, the county attorney who came before the judge when we were had our first hearing while I was in jail, made the claim that we had had people contact the individual who attacked us and had threatened his life. I mean, it was a bald faced lie. We didn't even know who the guy was. Mm. We had no idea who he was. We didn't know his name. We were sitting in jail baffled as to who is this individual? How did he even cross paths with us? And so this, this podunk good old boy judge, I've never seen anything like this you know, talked about this was a terrible crime of violence. And he slapped us with $50,000 bonds each. And we were forced to wear ankle monitors because we were a danger to this individual. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous. We conducted ourselves um, Christ-like. We were in a position we had no power to resist. And we trusted our situation to the Lord. Fortunately, some local people in Montana found out about it, got involved and helped some of our church folk back here arrange to get the bonds paid and to get us out of jail. 
I exited the Gallatin County Jail. They didn't have a jail in Madison County, so they shipped us to different jails. And I was uh, immediately uh, greeted by local Montana Christians from Madison County who put their arms around me and gave me a big old hug. Hmm. And since then, we've been trying to uh, fight these charges. Uh, Three of us are facing felony assault with a weapon. Me, because I simply drew a gun in accordance with Montana law. Bethany and Carter are charged with the same crime because he happened to have a cross in his hand. She happened to have that flag in her hand. The flag was attached to a broomstick you could break over your knee. And they used what they had in their hand to try to get him off of me when he had me down in the snow pummeling me. Bethany told the officer she, that she thought he was strangling me. And so she smacked him with the, with the flag, felony assault with a weapon. Carter used the cross to try to pry him off of me, felony assault with a weapon. Hmm. Of course, they took the cross. They took all that as evidence. You know, I had a pretty big blood stain on my jeans just above my right foot where I had been cut trying to defend myself from his attacks while I was down on the ground and I was using my legs to block his assault. And it had cut my leg and it had bled through my sock and through my thick pants. It was about the size of a softball. And, of course, none of that was even mentioned. I, I never saw any of those officers write anything down. There was no investigation. It was the biggest joke. I've, I've had lots of encounters overseas, Rob, with third world law enforcement, places where you don't have constitutional rights, communist countries, Muslim countries. And I have never, ever been treated with that level of disrespect as a human being. And so uh, coming up, uh, coming up in November, you go back to court, correct? Well, no, actually, we had a recent hearing. We uh, some attorneys. Uh, with the National Constitutional Liberty uh, 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 Liberty Union uh, took our case early on. They offered to take it. We scraped together a retainer, and these attorneys who represent some J6 defendants assured us that we didn't need to worry about the, the money, that if we could pay a retainer, they would raise the funds, and they wanted to take our case. And they did. Um, they did some decent work. Um, there were motions for dismissal filed with the court based on clear uh, religious discrimination that couldn't be argued with. The evidence was plain. For whatever reason, the judge decided not to dismiss the charges. I don't know what the judge's thinking is. He seems to be a kind and compassionate man. But uh, it got down to... Uh, a plea deal was offered to me. I mean, there's so much drama, Rob, Rob, Rob I can't, I don't even want to get into it because it's just going to take, I just, the Montana Attorney General's office got involved in this case. I mean, it was a little old case that didn't involve any injury and it didn't involve any major crime. And yet it was handed off to the Montana Attorney General so that the state Attorney General started prosecuting us back in, uh, December, uh, these attorneys that were representing us were not righteous people. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I found myself in a situation where our own attorneys, when they, when they would communicate with us, would mock our Christian faith. 
Hmm. For instance, uh, we were walking down a, a highway, come, getting close to Kalispell, south of Kalispell, earlier this summer, and one of the individuals working on the legal team just happened to pull up in a vehicle and see us on the road. And he pulled off the road, and the first thing he said to me in a mocking tone was, so, Jesse, how many people have you saved today? Hmm. And I'm just like, you know. Unbelievable. That's this, is your this is your attorney. We just tell the good news. God's in the position of saving. So I always kind of handled it, you know, like that. But, you know, they just, I think they took our case because they believed they could use it for publicity and to raise some money. And then it didn't pan out that way. Then all of a sudden they started going against what they had promised us and started demanding us, you know, you need to pay $50,000 and all this kind of stuff. And as it got toward the end of the summer, I was actually offered a plea deal by the Montana Attorney General. If I just plead no contest, then they would defer the sentence for 18 months. And if I was a good little boy, then they would uh, expunge my record and I could get my firearms uh, uh, rights back. And there wouldn't be any fine, but I would just be on probation for 18 months. And I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not pleading to this. And then so these attorneys who represented us basically gave me an ultimatum. Either you take the plea deal or you cough up $40,000. And if you can't do that, we're dropping your case. And so they tried to extort us for money. And I'm just like, you know what? At the end of the day, the Lord is my defender. If you want to drop the case, then go to the judge about it. And that's what they did. And so we're not represented right now. We had a hearing uh, back on um uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a week ago, I've lost all track of time. But uh, at that point, we simply had to ask if they would consider that we needed time to find righteous representation. And my dad, who is a who was a pastor, and he was also my best friend in this life, probably the one person I would always go to for spiritual counsel. He suddenly passed away back on September 7th. And so I'm now entrusted with the care of my mother and my grandmother, my elderly grandmother, who are both widows. And so that's kind of thrown, you know, another uh, um, just a whole nother situation into this. And so I just we went to the judge and just asked if they'd please be considerate of this sudden death in our family and give us a little time. And the judge was very kind and just said, look, we're just going to vacate the trial calendar, take a little bit of time. If you want to apply for public defenders, we'll start that process and uh, we'll just come back again sometime later this year and, and see what the situation is. So I was pleasantly surprised. I felt like the, the judge uh, just, I think it was back on September 18th. I, I think he, he was very kind. And even the prosecutor who up until this point has been very zealous in his prosecution he showed us some kindness back on the 18th, more kindness than I had ever seen from those attorneys who supposedly were representing us. And in and through that, uh, subsequent to that hearing, it the Lord's kind of opened a door for me to communicate a little bit with that prosecutor. And it's allowed me to be a witness. And so I'm just kind of interested to see what's going on right now. Uh, we're still facing charges. Um it's it's absolutely ludicrous um 
I can't for the life of me believe that any jury anywhere would ever find us guilty, but we live in strange times. And, you know, you can't, you almost can't go to trial anymore and just rely upon the truth because whether it's the national or the state level, it's all about concealing the truth. And when you conceal the truth, you can't have justice. There is a whistleblower that we don't know who it was. I've never seen any discovery myself from this uh, case. I know our former attorneys were in possession of all that. But months ago, I think it's back in January, I suddenly started seeing footage of us, of my son in the back of a, of a police vehicle, of us speaking to officers. I suddenly started seeing this footage floating around on the Internet. And we've learned that there was some kind of an anonymous whistleblower that released this stuff to different people. And it started popping up on YouTube and Instagram. I think there's Instagram reels that have gotten 80,000 views. I think the YouTube video, one of them had over a thousand views at one time. And it's just obvious what this is. And it's a hate crime. And it's an example of persecution against Christians. This whole thing was about the cross. If we weren't carrying that cross, it wouldn't have happened like that. But no, um, that's what it is. We know that's what it is. And so in a sense, we as Christians can actually just kind of relax and trust the Lord because it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And it gives us a little taste of what it says there is the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I know there are folks out there that have it a lot worse. There are Christian friends of mine who are facing charges at the hands of the federal government because they have uh, cared about the pre-born. And, you know, we're facing a little old district court in a podunk section of Montana. I mean, this county only has about 7,000 people, I believe. So I don't, I'm not pretending that our situation even remotely approaches what some Christians are facing with the federal government in the FACE Act. But it is an example of the rising persecution of believers, something that's really never happened in this country's history on, on this soil. In the very beginning, there were a few instances of, of uh, Christian preachers being persecuted because they didn't have a license. Some of that stuff happened up in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, even in Virginia, and it was played a role in the founding of Connecticut and Rhode Island. But this country, the Christians in this country have never really seen persecution. And I think that's changing. And I think our case is an example of that at a state level. And we're not talking about a liberal state either, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Montana's a Republican well, state, a red state. This attorney general, Austin Knudsen, whose office is prosecuting us, it blows my mind. Hmm. He, he fancies himself a great supporter of the Second Amendment. He often posts pictures of himself holding high-powered firearms and visiting gun shows. And yet his office is prosecuting us, not for breaking Montana law with a firearm, but for obeying it to the letter. Montana law is very clear. It says that uh, if a person reasonably believes that the person or another person is threatened with bodily harm, 
In other words, if I reasonably believe that I'm in a little bit, I'm in danger, the person may warn or threaten the use of force, including deadly force against the aggressor, including the drawing or presenting of a weapon. We were threatened. I drew a weapon. I did what the law says I could do. And now I'm being charged by a pro-Second Amendment attorney general for obeying what their law says. It blows my mind. And, you know, we live in a time when the law doesn't mean what it says anymore. We're coming to a time when we can't even appeal to the Constitution anymore because the people in power don't care what's written on that piece of paper. Well, Jesse, we ran out of time about two minutes ago. <laughs> that happens, Rob. I'm sorry. I'm I, w- I would love to talk longer, talk but so we much. just we got to wrap it up. But um, and we didn't even have a chance to have our uh, studio audience ask any questions. But um, you can get information on uh, Jesse's website, thelongwalkusa.com, thelongwalkusa.com. Go there and get get the information. <clears throat> There's also the uh, the video clip that Jesse was talking about the uh, the leaked uh, body cam footage. Um, I'm gonna leave it up to you if you want to watch that or not. We'll put that in the show notes at the bottom of the screen after the show. Um, it's it's very. Uh, Um, very telling. So, but just a just a warning. There is some language in there that the police are using every other word, and um, <laughs> so be aware of that. But uh, it is something that you should watch if you get a chance, and uh, we'll, we will put that in the show notes. We just didn't have time to get it on. It's uh, four minutes long, um, but uh, it'll give you an idea of what took place that day in Montana. Hey, Rob, so, if I may say real quick, uh, I was actually uh, this this attacker has actually done a very similar thing uh, uh, within the last couple of weeks to a husband and wife. Hmm. So these are people I don't know. They were people from Washington State who were on vacation. Uh, they were simply trying to find out who this individual was. They had booked a room at his motel, thought he was the maintenance man. You know, he got very aggressive with this woman and actually charged at her like she did. He did to me. And and fortunately, they were able to escape. And as she was trying to find out the owner of this motel and who this individual was, just a simple Google search brought up articles about Mm -hmm. this incident. And so Mm -hmm. this individual reached out to me and just said, look, the, the man who attacked you tried to attack me and my husband. This man is very dangerous, and if we don't, if he's not exposed, he's going to kill somebody. So this individual uh, out of Washington State is going to be interviewing about that. Uh, that's more details are going to be coming out. So I just take that as a uh, as the divine hand of providence. This individual is obviously continuing to act like this toward other people. And I really do hope that justice is served in our situation so someone doesn't end up dead. Yeah. Amen. All right. So uh, do you want to give out your uh, your email, uh, Jesse, so people can reach you? Or The email uh, is available there on the website. 
Just uh, on the can, website, okay. Yeah, you can go to fpgm.org or thelongwalkusa.com, and you can find an email there, and folks are free to reach out to me. I've actually received a couple of emails uh, that resulted, I believe, from the online article by the Ann's article there on us. And so we've been blessed by that. And um, again, Rob, I, I can't say it enough. I'm just honored. My family is honored that you folks based out of Wisconsin would care about this situation. And I just want to say thank you. Well, absolutely. And um, I can see already that uh, that things are taking a turn and God is working all things together for good. And hey. um, and um, righteousness will win out in the end as we're yes, it already will. seeing it taking place. So Yes, it will. Well, thank you, Jesse. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Sorry we didn't give it a, get a chance to let you talk today. But um, next week we have Jamie Walden with us, and uh, he's got an amazing testimony to share. So uh, be sure to tune in. We'll see you then. God bless. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.